0: Welcome to Open Minded Healing, where the topic is alternative health. We will be having conversations with the practitioners that offer a variety of alternative healing modalities, as well as everyday people who have recovered their health outside of the MD's office. Join us with an open mind for conversations that may provide solutions to healing your own body on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. I'm Marla Miller, let's begin. welcome everyone. My guest today, Laura Abragamova, is a women's health coach specializing in reproductive health disorders. She helps her clients heal their bodies and boost their fertility using clinically based non-toxic alternative therapies. She has a background in health and nutrition sciences, public health policy, and over 10 years of experience in chronic illness management. She is also a certified yoga instructor and meditation coach. Laura's goal is to spread awareness and provide alternative options for women who no longer want to rely on toxic medication and painful surgeries to manage their symptoms. Welcome, Laura. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Glad you're doing well. So today we're going to be talking about your own personal journey through uh, endometriosis diagnosis and also the importance of finding finding out early that you may have it and what parents can do to help their own daughter's health. So let's start with how you even learned about endometriosis and that you had it.
1: Yeah. So like many, my journey was certainly very rocky and confusing. Um, And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I had never even heard of the term endometriosis until I was Diagnosed. I had no idea of anything having to do with reproductive health disorders, and I was diagnosed in my early 20s. Um, but I had been experiencing certain symptoms, but not ones that are commonly associated or emphasized with endometriosis specifically, which would be, you know, extremely painful cramps, um, extremely heavy clotting periods, nausea, vomiting, and all that kind of stuff. I actually was pretty asymptomatic in that context. I had more, um, digestive problems that are now having learned so much about the condition. Um, I see the, the connection between digestive disorders and reproductive health disorders, and I, uh, you know, just kind of experienced pain in my lower right pelvic area, and wasn't really sure. It was a very dull, nagging pain that kind of came every now and then. Um, but I just decided to get it checked out. Um, and I, when I went to my doctor, she did a routine sonogram, and from there, she noticed a complex chocolate cyst. And from there, she was like, okay, this looks like it could be an endometrioma or endometriosis. And this is something that would have to, you know, be officially diagnosed through surgery. So let's prepare for a surgical procedure. And I still had absolutely no idea what any of this meant for me, for my health, for my fertility or anything else. And, it, you know, the, anyone who's gone through a condition like this or an extreme health issue will, will tell you that something like this really affects all areas of your life, not just your physical health. As it relates to my you know, childhood, I think that's one thing that I, I really try to emphasize through my coaching and working with women is that it's so important to see the signs as early as possible, because one of the issues with a condition like endometriosis or any chronic reproductive health disorder is that it takes between eight to 15 years to receive an official diagnosis. And in that time, The disease is manifesting throughout the body, growing and really damaging a lot of the organs and causing a lot of pain and reducing quality of life. And it can start as early as onset of puberty. And so noticing symptoms in your child and your daughter, like painful periods, fatigue, Uh, digestive disorders, painful bowel movements, you know, memory fog, anything like that, you should, as a parent, be very concerned. Um, And I think, you know, we can definitely talk more about the narrative as it relates to menstrual health and, and being a taboo subject. But I think that's a huge hurdle that needs to be overcome. And so, yeah, for me, it really took me about 15 years. I realized that, you know, after having learned so much about the condition and connecting the dots backwards, that a lot of my symptoms started once I started to hit puberty. And primarily they were digestive disorders that eventually led to triggering endometriosis in my body.
0: That's so interesting. You know, it's so confusing, I think, sometimes when people experience poor health in bits and pieces. So maybe you have a little digestive issue, like you said, or they're really tired all the time. Like there's a lot of symptoms that can relate to a lot of different conditions. So I can see how that would be difficult to figure out, you know, is this endometriosis Or is this a multitude of other conditions that have similar symptoms? So how would you suggest finding out, is there a particular test? Like once you think, oh, maybe this is endometriosis that your child has. Is there a particular test that can solidify that or not?
1: So the gold standard for diagnosing and treating endometriosis is currently surgery or sort of laparoscopic procedure. And there are some invisible ectopic lesions, but for the most part, and depending on how much it's progressed. It's pretty noticeable because there's lesions and spots essentially similar to your period blood that basically adhere to your abdominal organs. So the doctors would actually have to go in and see that and be able to categorize what stage you're in. There's four stages from minimal to severe So that's the gold standard. There are some tests coming out that claim to be 90% effective in diagnosing endometriosis, but it's not something that is widespread among doctors. And the other really difficult thing or interesting fact about endometriosis and medical treatment is that there's no official standard of care and every doctor kind of has their own way of managing it. Most of it is really just through birth control. And a lot of young adults or children who are starting puberty uh, are put on birth control at a very young age.
0: And that has its own set of complications, right. especially yeah. the longer you're on that it creates a lot of health issues down the road.
1: Right. Clinically, just, just to add, um, there is one major symptom, but at that stage, your symptoms are actually pretty severe. It's And this indicates endometriosis in the bowels. Um, if you have pain during bowel movement at the same time of your week of ovulation, that would indicate endometriosis. But a lot of times talking to the doctors, it takes a lot of conversation.
0: You mean to get someone to talk about that?
1: To listen and to understand that these are the symptoms um, associated with this condition.
0: Oh, yeah. So did you go ahead then and you had the surgery?
1: Yeah. So within um, six months of the sonogram that showed the complex cyst, I finally met with a, a surgeon that I felt comfortable with and we did do the surgery and then I was diagnosed officially.
0: So then what steps did you take after that to try and heal or what can you do to heal from it?
1: So again, it's um, all medical treatment after that, which has proven to be not effective, not just in my circumstance, but thousands of women that I've spoken to in, in support groups that I've participated in. So the medication is not the most effective solution for managing endometriosis or an estrogen dominant disorder because endometriosis is really primarily an immunodeficiency tied to gut dysbiosis or an imbalance in your gut microbiome primarily, and then secondarily, a hormonal disorder because of the mechanisms within the gut microbiome, which is designed to metabolize and eliminate the the excess estrogen that is basically dismantled as a result of the endometriosis, which encourages the hormonal disorder. Doctors treat this type of condition as a hormonal disorder before they treat it as an immunodeficiency. And that's why a lot of times the medication doesn't work. The next stage, the doctor will essentially put you on hormone suppressive therapy. Um, It could be an injectable like the Provera shot, or they put you on like a pill form of medication that will suppress your estrogen because it is an estrogen dominant disorder. So the the hormone estrogen that is naturally occurring in your body will feed the endometriosis and cause the adhesions to grow and further, you know, painful periods So their way of managing it is really to put you on a form of birth control that will suppress your estrogen, prevent ovulation, and hopefully prevent the adhesions from growing. And then most doctors will tell you, you know, come back when you're ready to conceive and then, you know, we can discuss other other options and taking you off the medication. The other thing to mention, though, as it relates to some women being asymptomatic, a lot of women actually find out that they have a, uh, endometriosis when they're trying to conceive, and it's not happening. And one of the reasons it affects fertility is because of the inflammation that happens around the you know pelvic region and the reproductive organs. And if you have a cyst that's growing from outside of your ovary, it's distorting the ovary, preventing the egg from meeting the sperm and Implantation and so forth. So, this is a very painful and inconvenient time to learn that you have a condition. And women like myself, who've been asymptomatic, if I hadn't just decided to get myself checked out, I wouldn't have known what was going on in my body at all until maybe it would have been way too late. So, yeah. So, this is a this is a problem that a lot of women face without even knowing that they have this issue. Well, it makes
0: you wonder then, with the high rate of infertility, how many people are actually struggling with this, or like you said, even as teens, I mean, there's so many kids I think that have really painful or heavy periods. And I wonder what the percentage of these kids that have endometriosis and don't know that is.
1: It's a pretty widespread condition um, and shockingly not well-treated for the rate that um, we do have in the world. Around 200 million women around the world have been diagnosed with this condition, I suspect that number to actually be a lot higher because it takes so long to get a diagnosis, and there is a large number of people who can be asymptomatic. and there's a lot of misdiagnosis that happens along the way, such as IBS or other digestive disorders because of the connection. So I really do suspect that number to be you know closer to, you know, maybe 250, maybe 300. it's hard to tell. One in eight couples will suffer with infertility, both female and male factor. But it is a, a pretty widespread issue, not just because of people being unaware of whatever health issues are going on in their body, but also because you know we have a lot of endocrine disruptors in our environment that increase the amount of estrogen in our in our system that feed these types of d- disorders. So it's definitely a society's problem. So that's why I'm here to spread awareness because I think more people need to be aware of how their environment affects their health. And, you know, just learning to read the signals that their body is sending them and not taking no for an answer from the medical community and learning how to advocate for yourself. Yeah, that's
0: so important. So how did you go about it after the doctor said, this is our protocol? How did you decide maybe you wanted to try something different, like an alternative healing modality?
1: So at first, I was very compliant for the first I want to say four years, five years after being diagnosed. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 24. It was the start of my career. I, I ended up um, going into healthcare policy and legislative analysis, working in you know Washington, D.C. And I you went on the medication. So I went on an injectable called Depo-Provera, which basically shuts down all estrogen production in your body. Um, it lasted for me about six months. And then after that, went on just a routine birth control pill. And, you know, just was able to manage my periods from there, but it caused a lot of other health issues like digestive issues and mood disorders, mood swings, fatigue, insomnia, hot flashes, like all of those things that really did impact how I showed up day to day, how I showed up in the workplace. And then in 2017, I just, you know, even though being on the medication, which again, brings me to my earlier point, it's not always effective. It didn't work for me, and I went and you know just continued to monitor. the The cysts and the endometriosis had all come back, and yeah. the doctors were telling me to have surgery again. And I was not comfortable with that because um, the more surgery you have, the more scar tissue is developing in that region, and it's affecting your fertility. It's affecting the health of your your other organs. And again, you have to work with a really, really good surgeon who knows how to detect even like the microscopic endometrial cells. And so I just decided from there, actually, I ended up um, hitting a rock bottom because I I ended up losing my job that year and just realized that I didn't have anything. I didn't have my job. I didn't have my health. I didn't have, you know, emotional support because it just affected all areas of my life. And I, you know, I kind of started to crumble. Yeah. And from there, I decided to take matters into my own hands because I have a work background in going into the research in order to be able to determine what gaps are in care for the legislative work that I did, I just decided to do that for myself and go into the research for endometriosis and learn more about the condition, why it's happening, what's the connection between lifestyle, nutrition, digestive issues. Um, And so the more research I did, the more I started to connect the dots, again, going back to childhood, why it even happened for me in the first place, about how important it is to have a very healthy gut and a strong immune system that can really prevent diseases like this. And what I learned was that your gut health is where more than 80% of your immune system is developed, but there's also something called the estrobilome, which is a cluster of good gut bacteria that is designed to metabolize and eliminate estrogen, excess estrogen in the body. So if you can leverage that in your body and keep that going and and improve your process of elimination and also support your liver health, these medications that suppress estrogen won't be necessary because your body is already managing that. Um, That's
0: amazing. So can you repeat that maybe in a different way, but you're talking about leveraging what specifically?
1: So your gut health is basically your machine for keeping you healthy in your body. And there are specific mechanisms with the gut microbiota that are responsible for keeping your hormones in balance, for metabolizing them and eliminating the excess. The best way to suppress excess estrogen in your body is to encourage a healthy gut, first of all, and second of all, um, frequent elimination so frequent bowel movements so that you don't have the estrogen recirculating and recirculating throughout your bloodstream which will cause the dominance of the the excess so those are the things that you know again connecting it to the digestive disorders is really important and none of this conversation came up with my doctors all of this had to come up with me going into clinical studies and learning about endometriosis about immunology about gut health you know your body is really designed to heal and to you know to work as a well-oiled machine it's it's the foods that you put into your body it's the lifestyle that you lead it's the sleep that you do or do not prioritize that really affect how well your body functions and whether or not diseases can progress or reverse
0: yeah that's fascinating because so many conditions and diseases come from the gut and from all those things you mentioned like detoxifying properly and uh, getting the right nutrition. And it, it seems very similar. You know, you hear of different conditions like endometriosis or autoimmune condition or whatever it might be. And the same things, the same natural or alternative things work for all this variety of disease out there. I mean, naturopaths will tell you that or health coaches Things like that. But the main place people go is to the MD, usually to start, right? So it seems like it has to be emphasized there as well as on television and in ads and, you know, the government with their programs. Like money has to stop being such a major factor that it comes at the expense of everyone's health.
1: Yeah. And I think if we could shift the conversation or, you know, help people understand that their consumer power. You know, you vote with your dollar every single day when you purchase a burger versus a salad, right? Uh, fast food versus a healthy meal. You, you know, you're making a decision in that point uh, what society will deliver for you, right? What what the agricultural industry will ensure that, you know, is available to the market. Um, and understanding, you know, how to read a label properly, knowing what the ingredients are in your food you know, I I always use this analogy, I find that people are just so much more careful about the fuel that they put in their cars than the fuel that they put into their bodies. Um, So I, I think it's really interesting, you know, and people have to really understand that, you know, the power really does lie with them. But the mind there has to be a mindset shift and a lot of people you know it's a very vulnerable position to be put in when you're told that you have a health issue that is affecting your your whole body and that you'll be on medication your whole life. And when you're put in that position, your mind goes into scarcity mode, it goes into survival mode and you're just looking for anyone with answers. And of course you know the doctors are the experts and so, you know I don't want to take that away from them. But I do think it's important for people to understand that they should be a partner in your journey rather than, you know, this like authority where you stop listening to yourself. Um, and it's okay to say no, you have rights as a, as a patient, patient consent. Um, you can choose to say no to a particular procedure. You could request certain tests or procedures. You can choose to say no to certain medication, ask for alternative options. And you can also, you know, take power into your own hands and realize that you have a lot more power in your own home with how you eat, what foods you buy, um who you spend your time with, how you manage your stress, what you choose to take on in your day-to-day. Um that's all in your hands. You know, your doctor is just really there to diagnose you, offer a treatment plan, and monitor your condition. You know, the rest is really up to you.
0: Yeah, that's a powerful statement is that you do have so much control in your own home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not just going to the doctor's office and that's where all the power lies. You're right. You have a voice, you have You know, you can choose what to do and what not to do and how to set up your home, not only the food, but maybe the environment, the air quality or the water or whatever it is. You have so much say. And I think that's a really good point. And to be your own advocate. I I think in the past, people thought they couldn't speak up because it would be rude or that person was the authority and I think now people are coming into their own more and realizing they have their own instincts that are very powerful and they know their body and what they're experiencing more than anybody else so what are some other things you did to help yourself and how are you feeling today
1: so, um, at first, when I was first diagnosed, I, I did shift my nutrition and I cut out red meat, which is high in saturated fats and inflammatory to the gut. So tried to create more of an anti-inflammatory diet, but it wasn't until the second time around that, you know, everything kind of just started to come back and I had to go through the whole process again, that I realized that it wasn't enough. So, um, from there, what I did was I did work with a naturopath to get my bio data and really learn about where my nutrient deficiencies were. We did a bunch of different tests that I wasn't getting, you know, it's funny because I actually went to my primary care doctors a little bit before my meeting with my naturopath and I did all the blood work and they said, you're totally healthy. Everything is fine. And then when I worked with the naturopath, like maybe a few months later, She was like, no, you have serious gut health issues. You're fatigued at the cellular level. You have a lot of inflammation. You have high amounts of metals in your system. It's affecting your fatigue and other areas of your body. And that was not what I got from my, my medical doctor. So I, I very much value that kind of information. So I, I think it's important to get down to the nitty gritty, your bio data, understanding where your nutrient deficiencies are and where you need to detox. So from there, we took on a nutritional wellness plan and a supplement plan that helped to boost my immune system. Um, and then I changed a, a lot about my diet, made it even more anti-inflammatory. And I added a lot more alkaline foods like wheatgrass and drinking more water, So um, yeah, so I improved my nutritional wellness. Um, I went further into an anti-inflammatory diet to really support my gut health. Um, I improved my sleep as well. I I started to prioritize my sleep, but I also eliminated a lot of the stress in my life that I knew I didn't need in my life anymore. So one of the things that, and I don't advocate for this if you you can't do it, but um, I actually ended up leaving my job So I lost my job in 2017. I got a new job as a consultant and worked for a few more years. And that was a very stressful environment as well. So I just decided it's too stressful for me. And I just need to take a break uh, for my physical and mental health. And um, that really helped to minimize a lot of the stress. So if that's available to you, if you could take a break, you know, I would advocate for that. But if you can't try to figure out ways where you can balance out the stress in your life, Yoga meditation, of course, is a really great way to calm the central nervous system down. So just creating more self-care practices that really help to um, calm you down and bring you from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic nervous system, because that's where in the parasympathetic nervous system is where your body actually relaxes. The inflammation can come down and your body will actually start to heal itself the same way you would in, in sleep, which is an active restoration process. So I made a lot of lifestyle changes some of them were really drastic, but you know, I was in a really desperate situation with my health and, and I needed to do that. And, and I was able to recover a lot. So after doing a lot of the work with the naturopath and boosting my immune system and reinforcing different nutrients, I actually went back to my doctor. I got a sonogram and we started seeing a lot of improvements in the, in the cyst. They started to shrink. And I realized the power of nutrition and the power of lifestyle in really healing the body.
0: Yeah, that is fantastic. So when you quit that job to eliminate the stress, Mm -hmm. is that when you decided to help others and become a coach or did you take on a
1: different job? So I had been certified as a yoga instructor and meditation coach for eight or nine years at that point and just wanted to do yoga. You know, it was just something that I felt like, okay, let me just kind of have this for my own personal satisfaction, but also to work with people and to still feel like I'm working. But because I was going through the, you know, process of trying to manage and heal my endometriosis, I just felt drawn to this need to help other women, especially since I joined these various support groups online. And I saw a lot of people asking just very simple questions like, can you tell me about this medication? Can you tell me about, you know, who's taking this medication? What have the symptoms been? Um, What should I do with surgery? I'm, nervous. Like I'm going to have a procedure, even asking simple questions like, how do you even know that you have endometriosis? What is endometriosis? And I just felt like there was this need to help women understand their bodies better. And yoga for me has always been that process, you know, because of the practice itself requires self-awareness and understanding how your body can move. So you can transition from one position to the next And so I felt like it's a really great way to help women just kind of relax, listen to their bodies, learn about how to read the signals that their body is sending them and allow them to become more receptive to learning about their health as well. So, yeah, I just felt like, you know, let me niche down into endometriosis or women's health in general so that women can have a resource for them to focus on their health and to feel like it's not selfish to do so. So I think that that's something that women struggle with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic that you turned your pain into purpose, I guess. Yeah. I think that is what happens when people are in a a dire state. They suddenly look at their life completely differently and reprioritize and advance themselves, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually, when you're confronted with something like that. So you definitely did that. So do you have any parting words for people that even have the most basic questions, or they just don't know where to start, they think they might have endometriosis, do you have maybe like a top five steps you would have them take just to get started?
1: Yeah, if you think that you have endometriosis or any kind of chronic reproductive health issue, I would start with first self-reflecting. So keeping maybe a journal of your symptoms and looking at specific parts of your body. So, you know, it might be a little bit uncomfortable for some, but, you know, I would look at my actual like menstrual blood to see what the symptoms are. If you have dark spots or clotting, then it's very likely that you have an an endometriosis that could be associated with PCOS as well, um, or adenomyosis, any other kind of estrogen dominant condition. Um, Also keeping a journal about like your digestion, how that's functioning for you. And if you're constipated, if you're going to the bathroom too much, you know, that kind of stuff. So just listing your symptoms. And that's actually going to be really helpful for when you meet with your doctor. So the first thing would be just keeping a journal of your symptoms. The second would be doing a lot of research on your doctor first, before you connect with them and making sure to ask the right questions to make sure that you are getting a knowledgeable professional who's staying up to date with the research. I would also say that if it's absolutely necessary, you know, you could definitely take a medication for it, particularly if you're dealing with a lot of pain, but I would also incorporate um, nutritional and lifestyle improvements in your diet. Start with getting your bio data if you want to work with a naturopath or working with a functional uh, medical doctor who will look into, you know, specific tests to see what where you have deficiencies. So that would be the third thing to really getting your bio data to understand what changes you need to make in your life. Prioritizing sleep is absolutely essential. Sleep is your body's active restoration process. You you wouldn't let your phone battery die. So don't let your your body's battery go out, right? So sleep is basically recharging your your body's battery. And it's really, really important. It's also really helpful for um, anti-inflammatory. And then the fifth thing would be really allowing yourself to invite more Joy, positivity in your life, in whatever manner that is for you. You know, if you enjoy going out into nature, if you enjoy spending time with friends and family, if you enjoy, you know, going for walks, whatever that is for you, just really creating more of that happiness in your life. Develop, cultivating hobbies, getting involved in your community, anything like that that would really help you feel more purposeful, happy, content in life. Those are the things that I would emphasize because, again, it will minimize your stress, which will minimize your inflammation and help your body to recover better.
0: Those are great tips. Also, I like to ask people when they've recovered and gone through a serious diagnosis, what is the biggest lesson you learned, biggest obstacle you faced, and the biggest kindness someone showed you during that time? So do you want to start with what was the biggest lesson?
1: The biggest lesson I learned was that, It's a really great question. I think it was that... um, I think it's really important to work with the right people, right? Having the right team, medical team working with you is, is absolutely essential because, you know, my first doctor, although she was a really great doctor and a great surgeon, really didn't help me understand what was happening at all. So I think working with a good team, and that's not just your doctor, but also working with other people who can help you like a like a nutritionist, a naturopath, a health coach, whoever else can help you kind of transition from that vulnerable, unhealthy state to a better state, a healthier state. Um, So that was really important. Learning to invest in myself, because that's something I struggled with a lot, you know, even in, even in, when I was working in corporate. So that I think would be my biggest lesson is just allowing people to help you and learning to invest in yourself. And then
0: the biggest obstacle.
1: The biggest obstacle was myself telling myself that, you know, it's okay to allow myself to go through the process and learning to really do the inner work to heal my body and to realize that there is emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical things happening at the same time. And I needed to really work on myself in order to, to allow myself to heal and to be receptive to, you know, listening to the experts help me heal as well. So I would say, you know, doing the inner work and learning how to develop more peace and happiness in my life was really important. Um, and, and that was a journey, you know, because you be, you end up learning so much about how you, you're either your biggest champion or your biggest enemy, you know, it really depends where you are in your journey. Yeah. And what about the biggest kindness someone showed you? The biggest kindness someone showed me? I would have to say it would be one of my closest friends who was so supportive during my transitioning from my career and being such a good listener. You know, my family was also really there for me and supporting me as well, um, really helping me to feel like, you know, everything's going to be okay and we're in this together. So just having a good support system and but also having to learn that like not everyone is really looking out for you and, and realizing who, who are the best people to surround yourself in such a vulnerable time so once I started realizing that I think I, I gravitated more towards the ones that that helped me the most and that was my family and, and one of my best friends
0: on that wonderful note where can people find you
1: so the best place to find me would be on my website at, at www.ilancyyoga.com, I-L-Y-N as in Nancy, S as in Sam, I, yoga.com, or on social media with the same name, Island yoga. Um, where you can learn all about the services that I offer, my journey. And then on social media, I just post you know, daily helpful tips where people can, in an amusing way, can learn more about their health and, and how to connect with me as well.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your own personal story, but also giving people hope that they can heal from endometriosis and get better and also help their own children possibly.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I I hope that, you know, this message goes far and wide so that we can spread more awareness and, um, you know, maybe get get to a cure one day.
0: Yeah, that would be wonderful.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Be sure and follow Open Minded Healing so you'll get every new episode as soon as it's released each Tuesday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.